You're listening to the Reality Steve Podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all your latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Rachel's season and interviewing all your favorite past Bachelor and Bachelorette contestants. Now, here's Reality Steve. Welcome to podcast number 34. I am your host, Steve. I'm going to change things up a little bit this week. But first off, let me tell you about Men's Warehouse. It's the 10th annual Men's Warehouse National Suit Drive again. Donate your gently used professional attire, including suits, dress shirts, dress shoes, ties, and more to any Men's Warehouse store from July 1st to July 31st and give a man the chance to transform his life. The goal is to reach 275,000 donations, so be sure to spread the word by using the hashtag GiveASuit. Visit www.menswearhouse.com slash national dash suit dash drive for more information. Again, that's www.menswearhouse.com slash national dash suit dash drive. Don't forget those dashes. As a thank you for donating, you'll receive a coupon for 50% off the regular priced retail items and get $10 off your $50 purchase when you text NSD to 66960. So for six months now, you've heard me interview nothing but former Bachelor and Bachelorette contestants on this podcast. And that is going to change for this week, as I have a very special guest coming on. She is an incredibly funny woman, a New York Times bestselling author, having written two books. One, You'll Never Blue Ball in This Town Again, a woman's painfully funny quest to give it up. And My Inappropriate Life, some stories not suitable for nuns, children, or mature adults. You remember her as a writer and panelist on Chelsea Lately, and her very funny stand-up special, Heather McDonald, I Don't Mean to Brag, was released on Netflix in 2015 and is still in my DVR. And yes, there's more. She is the host of her own podcast called Juicy Scoop. She is a married mother of two boys who one day she hopes will be The Bachelor. It is Heather McDonald. Heather, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for uh, coming on and having me on your podcast this week. People can check that out at at Juicy Scoop, kind of a double dose of us this week. It's like you do me yeah. and I'll do you. That's kind of yeah, how it works. Totally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, we share the same interests, so it's all good. Yeah. I mean, for those that maybe are unfamiliar with your work, you are you are not PC in any sense of the word. Um, you will tell it like it is. You will talk about anything. Um, and I want people to know that going in because – They've been used to listening to former contestants just kind of talk about their time on the show and, oh, I had a good time. I made some great lifelong friends, whatever. Like, this podcast is going to be completely different than that. Like, we're going to talk about, like, how you lost your virginity because you essentially wrote a book about it. Um, But we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's first talk about how you uh, got your start in comedy. Is is this something that you always wanted to do or something you kind of fell into? Were you the funny kid in the family? How, how did this all come about? Well, I was the youngest of five and in my family. Uh, my, fa- my parents were creative and funny people. They were in advertising and great storytellers. And um, But very kind of ki- chaotic home. My dad, you know, yelled a lot. Um, and it was this Irish Catholic family in the Valley of uh, Los Angeles. 
And um, I was uh, absolutely a mistake and told I was a mistake. And so was my sister. So the three were planned. And then um, (laughs) my mom went on the pill against the church's wishes. But then some friend of hers got a blood clot. So then she went off the pill and then had two more kids. So those are the stories that I was, I knew like by like seven years old. So I grew up in a very like inappropriate home to begin with. And then because they were so tired by the time they had me, it's like I watched like, you know, loved movies of the week. I would like, my friend says she remembers me like coming to St. Mel's, our Catholic school and being like, did you see the mistress last night? You know, and like I would be up till 11 at night watching like a very inappropriate TV, went to drive-in movies, like saw Jaws, Rosemary's Baby. Like, I don't know. They just, they just totally didn't care. And, um, and so they were, they, they do, I knew right away I was funny. Um, they told me I was funny and I would have these characters. Like I would, I had this one character named Mrs. Hule and she was like the uninvited guest for dinner. And I would just show up like all dressed up and my mom would like improv with me. And I just posted a photo on my Instagram that I was, um, sent from my cousin, my cousin's, um, mother just passed. And she sent me this photo that my dad had sent to her that was, um, me at two, like with a wig and a hat. And like, he goes, Oh, she finds these things and just comes out and surprises us. So I guess from a very young age, I was doing characters and impressions and, um, and they very much encouraged, uh, my humor, which is not a typical story for comics. Yeah. Usually the parents are like horrified that they want to be a stand up. My parents were like, you like they would watch any evening at the improv and they'd be like, one day you'll be on that stage. You should do this. And, um, so it was very encouraging. Um, and when I started to finally do it, I took a learning annex class one night. Um, my friend was like, you better take this class that we were like out of USC for about a year at this horrible, um, retail buying job. And, um, I said, okay. So I go to the Radisson Inn in Santa Monica and, I finally understood how, cause I would, people always say you should be a standup, but I thought, but if they don't know who I'm talking about, because I was always make, making fun of teachers or sorority sisters or what happened on, you know, last night at the bar at SC. And I was like, how would like strangers find me funny? And so that one class, it's like, it all clicked. Okay. As long as you set it up and explain it. Then I was like, okay, now I get the the formula of how, you know, you can, I could make this work. And yeah. So I left the, the Radisson in Santa Monica and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to start to do this now. And I started taking a standup class and shortly after, um, I did stand up for the first time. I started taking improv classes at the groundlings, which is a sketch comedy theater. And I went all the way through with that. So I kind of did them both at the same time. I like, I love them both so much stand up and sketch. So once you started forming your comedic life, as you got to probably high school and college and you started to probably watch more and pay attention more, who were some of your comedic inspirations growing up? Who, who were the standups that you were like, oh my God, they kill. Like, I can't, I can't believe that that's their job. That's what they get to do. I want to do that. Well, the first was Joan Rivers. Okay. And so when I was like in junior high or high school is when she would um, guest host for Johnny Carson, like for weeks at a time. And, and so whenever she was guest hosting, I would say, Oh, I've got a big project to do. Can I just work on it in your office? Because my dad had a small TV in his office and I would stay up late just to watch her 
Um, and then when it was Johnny, I never cared. I just thought she was so funny and, you know, I, and you know, her style is totally different than mine, but I just, I loved it. And then, um, and then like my parents had, had seen Roseanne on TV and specials. So we started watching Roseanne young, like before she got her TV show. And I remember seeing her stand up special. Um, and she had this great opening where she was like in a trailer because she's supposed to be, you know, poor from a trailer park. So she's in a trailer. Her husband, her supposed husband is in a, um, is like in like a, he was like a postman or something. And she's feeding the kids all dinner. And she walks out of the trailer, which is parked behind the theater. And she walks right into the theater and does her um, stand-up act. And I just thought, you know, that was sort of the inspiration for when I did my stand-up special. I wanted to have a sketch that, exemplified my life as a working mother, as a, as a mother who, a married mother, who's a standup. Um, so I did this opening sketch where I'm at a parent teacher conference with a, um, with a Catholic school teacher right yeah. before I have to go do my standup special, but I basically copied her idea. And, um, so I loved, I mean, I loved, I loved her comedy. I loved her, her show. I loved, I love Lucy, like the comedic act, the silliness of, of Lucy. So, and then for, for men, like I remember seeing Ray Romano on, on, um, evening at the improv before he got his own show. And so those were all like the, the earlier inspirations of people that I really, um, liked and thought were great. I want to talk to you about Warby Parker. They believe glasses should be viewed as a fashion accessory, just like a bag, a shoe, a necktie or a hat. They make it easy and affordable to accessorize with glasses. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. For every pair you buy, a pair is distributed to someone in need. Warby Parker makes buying glasses online easy and risk-free. What? Yes, their home try-on program allows you to order five pairs of glasses, ship directly to your door, where you can try them on in the comfort of your own home, get feedback from your friends, family, everyone that opinion matters to you. You can try the frames for five days before sending them back using a free prepaid return shipping label with no obligation to purchase. It's a hundred percent free. A dog could do it. It's so easy. I've ordered mine. I've got five new frames for my glasses. You've seen me when I used to do the um, video chats with you guys. Sometimes I wore my glasses. I've had those same frames for like six years now. Uh, Warby Parker sent me five. I'm keeping all five. They're that good. So head to warbyparker.com backslash Steve to order your free home try-ons today. Choose the five frames you'd like to try on. Mail the frames back. Choose your favorite pair or pairs. Have your prescription added to the order. Warby Parker makes your experience completely risk-free and free shipping all around. Visit warbyparker.com backslash Steve to begin your free home try-on experience today. After you head to warbyparker.com backslash Steve and place your home try-on order, make sure to download the Warby Parker app from the iTunes App Store. They built this awesome home try-on companion feature, which allows you to quickly take photos wearing the frames. Everyone that you chose, stitch it into a video and share it with friends and family to help you pick a winner. Now, let's get back to Heather McDonald. You talked about you know going to SC and then you took classes at the Groundlings and you went through that. And obviously a lot of Saturday Night Live cast members have come through the Groundlings. Was that ever a goal for you? Did you ever want to be on Saturday Night Live? Because I know you were into sketch comedy and stuff like that, but, or was it yeah. more of, did you ever try out for Saturday Night yes, Live? Yes. Oh, you did? Is what, 
this is what happened. Hmm. So I, um, I got a pilot called Lyricist Lounge. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because at the time, my agents couldn't even, they wouldn't even see me. And they, and then they started, they hired their white girl because it was a predominantly African-American cast. And it was basically sketch with rap. So they had like professional rappers that could like wrap a whole sketch, but then they wanted some other sketch players that would do like regular sketches. Mm-hmm. And so they had a white guy and a white girl. And then, you know, the rest was African-American or Latino. And, um, and a couple of the writers that I had, I, my first job was working on the Keenan Ruins late night show. So a couple of those writers from that show were working on the pilot and they realized the white girl was bad or she quit or I don't know. And so two of the writers, Ian Edwards, who now works on Blackish, and Allison Faust, who's an amazing writer as well. Um, she's always selling something. I don't know what she's on right now, but she's very, very good writer. They both said, "You, our friend is funnier than this white girl, and you know you should see her." So they told the producer. So I went in and I did all my characters, and they were like, "Okay, let's make this work." And I mean, I'd been on so many auditions for four or five years, and like never booked anything. And, um, and I remember the day I got the pilot, my commercial agent sent me a letter dropping me. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> so, so then I got the pilot and they, my agent called me and he goes, this is the worst offer I've ever seen. They're only going to give you $1,200 to do the pilot. There's no way you, sh- you could do, you should do this. And I said, I'm absolutely doing it. <laughs> I just want to have the tape because what people don't realize in nowadays, that was like such a big thing to get because we didn't have a YouTube channel. I couldn't just do a character on an iPhone and post it. Yeah, It was a huge production that cost money and you had to go in an editing bay. And so the only way you were going to get the tape that you needed to get a job and a reel is if you actually booked stuff. And the only way you're going to book stuff is if you have the tape, it was just like a nightmare. So I'm like, who cares if this doesn't go, at least I'll have, you know, something I've booked something. So I go in and then they go, do you have any ideas? And I, the other thing is I always remember people being like, I don't know that I want to audition for Mad TV. Then they're going to see my characters and steal my characters of the show. And I'm like, as a comedian, you just cannot be worried about someone stealing your material. You'll just make yourself crazy. Yeah. And you've got to have the confidence to know that you, that I'll always be able to come up with stuff. Yes, I want to be the first person to do it. But I know people will do my stuff, you know, or whatever. Something similar will happen. And that's life, you know. But um. So I go, Oh, I have this idea and this idea. And by the end, like six of the sketches that six of the eight sketches were something I wrote for the week. So it was a really good, um, tape that I had. So I put, they sent me the pilot and I had my friend edit it down to like a smaller tape and we sent that to SNL. And so they said, okay, great. You're going to come out on Tuesday and you're going to be here for two days and at the time I was dating my husband. And so we we're going to go visit my aunt in the Hamptons after. And I got all these like cute Hampton clothes. And <laughs> that Monday, like literally my suitcase was halfway packed. That Monday, my agent called and he goes, I've got good news and bad. The MTV pilot got picked up. So the bad news is um, SNL will refuses to be in second position, which means they don't even want you to test for the show unless they know 100% you can do it. And they would be in second position unless MTV allowed them to be in first. And MTV was like, no, you know, she's like the star of our show. There's no way, yeah. you know, don't have a show without her. So they're like, so they won't even see you. So I had to call my aunt and tell her that we couldn't come. 
And she was like, what? I just bought all this food. What do you mean? <laughs> and um, so then I did the S- so I did the MTV show for two seasons. And, um, and then after that, my agent was like, um, don't you want to now try to audition again for it? But at that time, I was married and um, we were fighting custody for custody of my, my stepdaughter, who was just a toddler. And I was like, there's just no way I can go to New York. And I, so I was just like, no, forget it. Mm-hmm. And so, so then, you know, and then things kind of took like a turn for many years. I, I was just doing like, like I'd get something here or there. I'd do a guest spot here or there. Um, but not until 2007. With Chelsea I- Lately. Right. Did I get Chelsea lately that then, you know, my standup was, I just started redoing, I hadn't done standup for like seven years oh. and I just started doing standup like six months prior to getting Chelsea. And, um, so, and I was doing shows with Chelsea. So then that was great. Cause when the show started, she was like, Oh, I'd like to have someone who's on the show open for me. And so I did it. And, um, Ted, who was her boyfriend at the time and the president of E, he's like, you're such a great, um, compliment to Chelsea's comedy because it was the same type of humor and audience that I talked about marriage and kids. And she talked about being single and she was, you know, a little more dirty and I was a little cleaner. So it was like a really good opener. So then by opening for her for so many different tours, really then, um, established me as a headliner on my own, which was really great. Yeah. Really cool for that. I was going to say that had to have been your biggest break in the industry, right? Being a panelist and writing for Chelsea. I mean, absolutely. And when the opportunity came up, um, you know, my friend goes, oh, Chelsea's doing the show and, you know, but it's going to be five days a week. And at the time, my younger son was only a year and a half. And I, I kind of struggled with, oh, do I want to leave every day? You know, when he's so little, my other son's only like four and a half. And I had this friend who said, you take that job because when they're 10, you're going to come home and they're not even going to look up from that Xbox and you're going to say, why didn't I take that job? And it's something that like, I don't think working mothers really consider and they actually should yeah. because it was the best advice and it was hard. I missed stuff. Moms at the school were not always nice to me. Um, I had a lot of guilt about things. I never played the mom card. So I missed a lot of things. I missed, you know, plays and poems and all the cute stuff. But in the end, now the show's been off for almost three years. And with my podcast and my standup, I actually have more time, much more time at home to be with my kids who are now, my younger ones are 14 and 11. And in my opinion, I think this is the more crucial time to be super active in their lives. So yeah. I guess I'm telling myself that, but I mean, yeah. you just whatever, however your life works out. But I think sometimes the reason I took the job at that time is um, I was in my mid thirties and I was like, if I don't get another real job in Hollywood soon, I'm going to be too old to get back in it. And I think there are industries like that. And I think sometimes, um, women have to think a little bit harsher. I don't think you can totally have it all. There has to be some sacrifices and I'm, I'm really glad, so glad that I took the job. Now, when I took the job, I thought it would just last the summer. I thought it would last 13 weeks and then get canceled. So I thought, okay, well, I'll hire the nanny for the whole summer and then I'll figure out what I do in the fall because I won't need her then. And, you know, seven and a half years later. So you just, 
you know, you yeah. never know. Yeah, I mean, that that was a huge show. Chelsea Handler is a huge name in, in the comedy world. And obviously there was a little controversy that popped up um, the last couple of years. Um, it ended up being a lot about nothing. But at the time, for those that don't know, you went on a podcast. You had said during the course of an hour-long podcast, you had made a comment, kind of a flippant comment about how you feared for your life working uh, on the Chelsea Handler show, Chelsea went on Howard Stern, fired back at you, but you have both said since then, completely broken out of proportion, you guys are good, things are all patched up. However, when it went down and when you saw this story hit in this headline of Heather McDonald slams Chelsea Handler, like, were you shitting your pants? Were you pissed? Yes. Were you scared? Were you sad? I like, was, I was, it was one of, it was the most upsetting thing that's ever happened to me career-wise. Yeah. Like in and in my life, short of like losing people, you know, to death, it was the most traumatic thing I've ever been through because I never got hate before, really. And it was just bombarded hate. And I didn't know at the time what the best way to handle it was. So my first thought was to, um, oh, just ignore it and it'll go away. And in retrospect, you know, I should have taken right to Facebook live, but I don't even know what it, I don't think Facebook live worked back then, but, or made a statement or something right away explaining myself. But every time I would try to do that, I would find how someone could then say, why would you say that or do that? You know? Yeah. And the truth was they released it five days before the podcast was available. So no one could listen to the full hour. Mm -hmm. So for five days, it was just fermenting in social media and, and people analyzing it. I mean, I, it was a topic on the view. It was a topic on the top. It was a topic topic on, um, Wendy Williams. Yeah. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend and this, and I was the one betraying and I was just like, this just isn't true. And since people get it, I'm like, it was a Hollywood job that I loved and I'm a fearful person by nature being raised Catholic, being raised by a Marine dad I, I, I literally like jump a lot and stuff as someone like says something to me <laughs> that's loud or whatever. And I, I get nervous and that's just me. I don't have like balls of steel. And I was being actually really honest about my own insecurities that re and I was mad that I was that insecure at that time. Cause it was a steady job for seven and a half years. And I didn't really treat it like that. I was always like, but I think anyone in Hollywood that has a job that they love, could understand what I was saying because they are coveted jobs. They are so few and far between here. I was a working mother of three, a woman in my forties and I was able to write on a show and appear on it and go do stand up. That would have been a horrible thing to lose. So yeah, yeah times when there was tension, like any job that all of a sudden your bosses are, you know, not feeling you that day or not looking at you and you get in your head. The same way I knew I wasn't going to make varsity cheerleading when the head cheerleader didn't look at me at the party the Friday before the results. I was right. <laughs> I was cut. It's that same stuff, you know? And so I just said it. And then if you listen to the whole thing, I, I said really complimentary things about her. I said really self-deprecating things about me. Yeah. So when you said feared for your life, like you said, it was released before the podcast came out. You're feared for my life, like feared for your job, fired. essentially. Like yeah. you don't want to no, lose this life. job. You weren't saying yeah, you lived in life. fear of like, Chelsea. It's a perfect example of something being taken out of con complete, taken out of context. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it was awful. It was really awful. And for so long, I 
just prayed to go back and, you know, some comedians say, I have no regrets. And well, I have regrets totally, you know? And I think someone's lame to say they have no regrets. I'm like, really? You never put a cup of coffee on your car and drove away. You have no regrets in life. Like, shut up. Everyone has some regrets. So I've, I, you know, regretted that for a long time, but then because it was so career debilitating, it really was. I really, it was very, very bad for me in Hollywood. People believed it. Yeah. People believed that I, well, the thing that she said on Howard was that I, um, that I sold stories about her to the tabloids, which was just a complete and blatant lie. No proof to it. I don't know why she said it. I don't know if someone said it to her. I don't know if she made it up that day, but it was a lie. And, but no matter what, once a lie is out, there's always going to be somebody that still believes that, you know, Richard Gere had a gerbil crawling up his ass, no matter what, even though now we all realize that was just a horrible lie rumor. So yeah, there were people high up that would like, that I'd find out that they will still believed it or asked somebody about it or whatever. And so because of that, I was like, well, the only, the only outlet I have is my own podcast. And I am going to tell the truth about every single thing in my life so that nobody can ever come back and say, did you know that this happened in Heather's life? So I started to share some of the more traumatic things in my life. Like, uh, I have this sister that I, that has been verbally abusive and I call her serial sister for, for many, many years. I have restraining orders against her. And, um, and she was threatening to make up lies about my husband and I. And so after this lie came out, I go, okay, I'm going to beat you to it. I'm going to tell the whole story Yeah. and I'm going to put it on my podcast. And just like the most popular podcast in the world, serial, I'm going to call it serial sister. <laughs> and so for 15 episodes, I told it in 15 minute intervals at the top of the show Ugh. and it did get people hooked and wow. it, it did because the podcast was all I had that I could do. Like the podcast was all I had in my career. No one was asking me to be on a panel. No one was booking me for anything. So now I'm really grateful for the whole experience because I became very truthful about that. I had a situation with a sexual harasser, the owner of Podcast One. I shared that. Whoa. Okay. Afterthought. Yeah. With, um, I, oh, what's his name? Norm um, Mattis. Norm. Yeah. I I was in talks with Podcast One. Um, didn't well, go with them, but was in talks <laughs> with them. <laughs> and I, he, I wanted to leave. He just creeped me out. And I, I had a thing on tape of him. Um, I was trying to do a broad commercial and he was like, Oh, are these memory, can these be my memory foam hands? And he was like coming up behind me. And Ooh. after that I, I left, but he made it very difficult for me to leave. I had to hire a lawyer. It was very difficult. And so finally he, I was able to, after, you know, my entire summer last summer was just the most stressful thing. Um, I was finally able to go to my, my podcast network now wondering, and I was never going to share that story of how, you know, of, of what he was like yeah. because I'm a, a 40 year old woman who protects an old white male. And then, um, and then when all like the Donald Trump and the Roger Ailes and the Gretchen Carlson stuff came out, I said, you know, I always felt like because I'm a dirty, you know, R rated comedian that, you know, I can't really be sexual harassed. Oh, he was just joking. He was just being gross, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, 
So I'm just going to share it and just share the audio. I had it. I'm like, I'm sharing all my podcast. If it's nothing to be ashamed of, then it shouldn't be a problem. But let me just get the opinion of the people who listen. (sighs) And I played it and I'm like, what do you guys think? You know, and people were just shocked. They were like, your voice changed so dramatically. Um, when he walked in, I was flustered and I didn't even realize it, but the people who'd been listening to me for a year noticed how the minute, because you hear him walk into the studio and he knew it was being taped. It's not like I, uh, you know, tried to blackmail him or anything like that. I was like, you know, he didn't care. And so I played it and, um, and then, you know, people picked it up and he's a UC regent. So, you know, some of the, the people in, at, at UC schools wanted him removed. Of course, they're not going to remove um, someone with that kind of power. So they just kept squashing the story and people started petitions and all this other stuff. And But in the end, I've had people write me um, saying because of it, they've, they've walked into HR. They've told the gross guy, knock it off or I'm going to say something. They, if they've been, this one girl said I was driving in Chicago and this cab driver did a, a lewd comment with his tongue and fingers to me at a stoplight. And she's like, normally I would have just been shaken for an hour and a half and grossed out. But because of your podcast, I wrote down his, his license and I reported him to the cab company. Hmm. And I was like, good for you. Like good. Yeah. Because why it is, that's why it's continued because Oh, just forget it. Don't say anything. And I always say to to my listeners and everybody, because I've had other girls that have come on who have revealed horrible um, people that they've dated and um, that have like taken money from them or whatever. And I said, why, why keep the secrets of those who treated you horribly? Whether it's, you know, a Catholic priest from the keepers or <laughs> a sexual harassing boss or a, manip- a manipulative boyfriend who borrowed money from you and never paid you back. Um, like, why? Why, why are you so embarrassed? Because you were a nice, trusting person? Like, no, that person's awful. And people should know that they're awful and not be afraid to say it. And, you know, the, so I love that younger women are like, don't give a shit and speak up more. And so I just used it for that. You know, I mean, again that had some repercussions too like you know nobody on podcast one will have me on their show as a guest yeah but i'm like again okay i just have to work that much harder on my own and i'm just not gonna like i just don't care anymore i just whatever well good for you for standing up to that i didn't realize that 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 had happened um i knew that i knew that you were with podcast one at some point and then i saw you were wondering i was like I had no idea about the story behind that, but that was very, uh, I'm glad that you, you know, stood by your, stood by your guns. And uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't go there because <laughs> you, you are doing, you will be doing a lot better somewhere else. Just, it's not just about him kind of being a dirty old man. It's not, I'm just financially, it was definitely not fulfilling. Yeah. Well, that's the reason I didn't go with podcast one. It just, yeah. their offer wasn't up to snuff with, with the, uh, with the offer that I did get. So, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to your stand-up career in a minute. I, I want to talk to you about your two books. Yeah. You've been very vocal in your books, stand-ups, interviews that you were a virgin until you were 27 and not because of religious reasons. You were just waiting for the right guy. It's like you said, you grew up in LA, Catholic family. 
Uh, yeah. And your book, your first book, basically entails your pursuit of getting laid. Can you tell us some of your favorite like hookups, breakups from that book? Yes. Okay. One of the favorites was, well, you know, I went to SC and I always, you know, I wanted to marry well yeah. and someone that could take me to a nice dinner. Um, something where if I ordered a salad before an entree, it wouldn't be a big issue. You know, I liked to go out on dates. Mm -hmm. So I met this guy and I told myself he was 38, but I was pretty sure he was over 40. And I think looking back, he was probably like 44. And I was still a senior at SC as 21. <laughs> and, um, but he was good looking and fun, you yeah. know, and he like loves, he went to SC too. And, you know, a long time ago, but, um, so I went out on, I went to his place and it was this huge house in the Palisade. Each door was like 500 pounds and, you know, it's gorgeous. And there's like a husband and wife that cooked, like that, like lived there together, like a couple and that, you know, were like his servants. I mean, it was just, and, um, so I was like, God, I don't know, you know, and I just kind of imagine like, what if I just, he had no kids, never been married. Like, what if I just like married this guy and, you know called it a day, just didn't pursue anything, just shopped and just like had a great life. And, um, but then <laughs> I want to make sure my kids are not around. So, so then, um, like the third day, you know, we start to kind of like, now I'm still a virgin and everything, but I've messed around with people. Okay. Yeah. So we start making out and, um, like in his room and he's just wearing like casual, like tan pants and like a shirt. And within minutes of just straight up, just like make out, like on a bed, like fully clothed, like bodysuit snapped, belt, jeans, everything's on me. He's like, uh, uh just hold me. I'm like, what? He just hold me for a second. And I was like, what? He gets up and there's a full like wet spot in the tan pants. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, so I straight American pie, straight out of American not, pie. What happened? So, I'm like, so that's why this guy isn't married. There's some issue, yeah. you know, with him, even though he's tall, full head of hair, shit, ton of money, fun, outgoing, interesting Ferraris, the whole shebang. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so there was no touching, like no touching was, caused this. No. And so then I just, I, you know, blew him off. Yeah. Which is, you know, easy to do back then. You just don't answer the phone. And um I ran into him a couple more times and he was always like, What happened? I'd be like, Oh, you know, whatever. And um and then I found out through people, because it's all within LA, that he um he married this like stewardess and flight attendant, whatever, and had three kids. And the other day, you know, I was telling my son about it not about that sexual purpose, just that he was a rich guy. But I'm like, there's no way I, I said, there's no way like if I would have married someone like that, that he would have put up with me struggling all those years, going to the gross comedy store. Like there's no way I would have just become that woman that like went to a charity lunch and like got blowouts with my friends and did Pilates. Like I would no way have been who I would have been. And my son's like, yeah, but we would have been rich. Like he was just, <laughs> <laughs> like you not that the guy asked you to marry him but i'm just saying like i would have just like pursued it who knows you know who yeah. knows could have led but he's i went on a search and he is married to that woman still she is very attractive the kids are attractive 
I don't know if he got his issue fixed or she just dealt with it. I don't know. Who knows? But it was, uh, you know, I kind of wonder what your life would be like, but yeah, that was like a pretty juicy one. And that was one that like, I didn't, I was kind of embarrassed to tell friends why I blew him off until later on. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, okay. Let me just tell you the real story. And, um, so that was kind of a good one of where you just kind of imagine what your life would be, you know, if it didn't matter. Well, he's got to be in his mid sixties, if not seventies now, doesn't he? If he was 40. Yeah. Okay. But he still looks pretty good. Wow. They're on a yacht. Oh God. When I went on her Instagram, I was like depressed. And she's, and she's probably what? 30 years younger than him. She's a little. No, she's probably, she's probably like, maybe my age or just a little bit younger because her kids are like 16, 17. Okay. So it's like he met her like shortly after me. Like he was on a hunt for a wife that would give him children for sure. And she had three right away, but they've been together like married a long time. So I'm looking at her Instagram page. Oh, here they are jumping off the yacht in the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm like, "Mm, guess it's not that well. Oh, well. (laughs) But I wouldn't have Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. I I wouldn't be talking to Reality Steve. I'd be doing... Pilates and boning my trainer like a respectable married woman who lives in the Palisades does. Yeah, exactly. And and since I know you have no problem sharing, um, yeah. t- tell us about the time where you finally met the guy, the one that you decided you were going to lose your virginity to. What what made him the one? How did it happen? Was was it because you had waited until you were twenty seven? Was it everything you expected? You see, is that no? Okay, it just was like. I met him at a bar. He, we dated in college. I knew he was a really nice, good person, which, you know, I believe he still is today that we didn't keep in touch. And, um, it was my birthday. He got me a gift. Oh. He would take me out when he said he would He'd call what he said he would. Of course he fooled around. I spent the night. I blue balled him. I dry humped him. And then finally I was like, all right, that was it. You know, <laughs> And I just did it. And then I was like, Ugh, why did I wait so long? Like, like you weren't like, oh, geez, this wasn't the greatest thing ever. But it, why did I wait till I yeah. was 27 to do this? You had built it up in I, your head pretty much. I waited because it was more about the relationship thing. Like I, I thought if I slept with someone and then I never heard from him again, which would happen, you know, when you make out with people or give their, you know, go on a date, you don't hear from someone, you meet someone at a party, maybe not hear from him. I just thought, what if I had given my virginity away to that person? And then you just skateboarded past me at SC and like nodded. I'd be devastated. Like I thought yeah. I would like, I was almost trying to like protect myself. And the truth is I was like, Ugh, who cares? Like, I know you, you're fine. So like my advice was sort of like, my advice is everybody should protect their heart as well as, you know, venereal disease and pregnancy. But what happens is if you don't do it by a certain age, it becomes, it, I do believe it comes, becomes like a crutch yeah. and it becomes like a weird thing. And you're embarrassed. Cause you're like, you're so embarrassed to say, that you, so I stopped. I would never tell people I would just, I would never tell, they would never assume it. So why would I tell anyone? But then I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep with them unless they were my boyfriend. Well, they weren't going to become my boyfriend unless I slept with them. So then years <laughs> would go by and I always had dates. I could always get dates, um, but they just wouldn't turn into relationships, which then, again, looking back, I'm like, I probably wouldn't have been able, I probably, if I would have fell in love with someone, like a lot of girls do, especially back then, would I have still pursued my career as hard? Would I have like moved someplace if they got a job or would we, you know, would I have wasted a year and a half being dick whipped? I don't know. 
Yeah. But I, because I did it and it's like, I think everything kind of works out, you know, but, um, now I'm, that's why I'm now when I talk to people, I'm always just like, you know, then what happened? And when was the first bone? And why don't you just, you know, like I was at this dress shop and this divorced woman that I know is like, God, I got this young guy after me. And I'm like, what do you want? Why do you, what am I going to do with him? I'm like, you're going to bone him. Like who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, why wouldn't you? And she's like, I know, but uh, da, da, da. that's what all my friends say. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like you're, you're divorced. Like just, so I live vicariously through other people's, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sex lives and affairs and everything else. How, how long did you last with that guy? Um, that you lost virginity to how much longer after you had sex for the first time, were you, he's oh, still God, your boyfriend. Not that. Oh, this is what happened. So a couple more times we went out and stuff. And then I, I made the mistake of asking that question that I don't think any girl should ever ask, which is what am I to you? Where do we stand? Oh. And he just exhaustingly said, Heather, I do not want a girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, and then like he called me like, you know, a couple more times and I just was like, who cares, you know? Yeah. And then dated one other person and then I met my husband. And so, but, um, but I didn't have like, I didn't think he was a jerk or anything. I was just like, okay, you know, that's fine. Yeah. But I always say girls should never ask that. What they should ask is this. Okay. This is very good advice. Yeah. I want to hear this. Okay. You say to the girl, to the guy, I don't know if it works as a guy, but if a guy wants to, why not try it? Say, Hey, I never want to be deceptive or inadvertently hurt your feelings. So, um, you know, recently I was out at a party and this person got my number and has asked me to have dinner with them. So I just want to clear it with you to know that you're cool with that because I don't want to be deceptive. I mean, or do you want to discuss something more? Because otherwise I'm going to go and have dinner with this person since we're just dating. And then you'll see where they really, if yeah. they really feel. If Ball's that in makes, his court now. Yeah. If that makes them feel like, if they, if they see in their head their girl being picked up by a good, nice person taking them on a date that they could possibly like, like, then they're going to go, no, I don't want you going on that date. Okay. Well, then you want to try to be exclusive for a while. Okay. Then let's, but it's not, what am I to you? It's not element. It's like make up the lie that somebody else has come around. Mm-hmm. And then, then sometimes those lies will get you depressed because you wish they were true. But <laughs> Well, then no it puts him. Nothing. He has but to. There's no way they'll know. He has to shit or get off the pot at that point. I mean, that's basically putting right, it in his or court. You just, or you just kind of get to feel where they were. Or they might go, "Wait, what are you talking about? I thought we were a couple." Okay, well, we've never said it, and I. Now so now have. I know. Yeah. I will. I let me. You know, I will decline. Like then you're classy. You're not. You're not lying, but you're also not saying, "What am I to you? Am I your girlfriend or not?" You know, all that shit that just makes a guy like get so nervous and it's also so weird and desperate it's like i don't need to be your girlfriend yeah well, like i've got somebody else asking me out tonight so but if you'd like to try it yeah i like you enough that i will i will forgo being pursued by other men if you'd like to try that it's like such a better cooler way to be well i think that i actually i, I like that approach i never really thought of it that way i mean i've never thought of it 
as a guy saying it to a girl, um, usually well, it's I'm a uh, genius. You could, yeah, you know, I know. You, could, you don't know. Cause a girl could be like holding it out or, you know, or anything, gay couples, whatever. It's like when you just don't know. And in this, in this day and age, you're supposed to be so who cares and easy breezy and, you know, not pressury. And so it makes it really hard, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your standup career, yours, and then just stand up in general, because as I mentioned, when we talked on your podcast, that standup has always been a huge part of my life. I've never done it. I've never approached it. Um, I have just been obsessed with it literally since fifth grade in terms of how many standup shows I've watched, how many I've seen in person. Um, it's just something that's been a huge part of my life, probably has shaped some of my comedy and how uh, I approach some things. And so I wanted to talk to you about your standup career and then standup in general. First off, talking about how many days of the year right now would you say you're on the road doing shows? People always ask me that. I mean, I've never bothered to count it, but I would say on an average, two weekends a month. Two weekends a month. Okay. And so, and it's usually goes from like a Thursday to a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, it's a Wednesday to a Sunday. Sometimes it's less depending on if it's like, you know, closer or right. I think it'll be a little bit less this year because fortunately I'm selling out in advance. So I don't have to come in the day before to do press. Um, I'm able to do bigger places with less, um, less shows. Yeah. Um, but I still love to do the smaller venues intimacy of the, the comedy club because comedy really shouldn't be in like a theater of, you know, thousands. Um, so, so yeah, but probably, I guess, so whatever that would be, what's like, I guess maybe like, so if you're doing eight days a month, um, yeah, like you say, yeah, like seven days a month or eight days. Yeah. Seven days a month time 12, do your math. 84, 84 days. So we call it 84 to a hundred days. Yeah. It's definitely under a hundred, I think for sure, but it's, it's significant. It's a significant amount of time. And sometimes it's like three weekends in a row and then I'll have like three weekends off. Ideally, I would love it to be every other weekend. It just doesn't always work out that way. But if I, you know, then I'll have three weeks in a row and like a fourth deal will come up and I'll just be like, I don't care how good it is. I can't do it because I'll get resentful and I'll get burnt or I could get sick. So I'm like really careful about, you know, not overdoing things and not being gone too much. So, And one thing that you hit on earlier, and it kind of makes you a little bit different than I'd say for most comics, is that you are a married mother of with three kids, two of your own and, and a step and a stepdaughter. You said mm-hmm. that's gotta be, I mean, there are women stand up comedians out there who are married and have kids, but it's certainly in the minority in terms of everybody that it's, does stand up. It's definitely in the minority. And there's, there's not many of us that are at my level that yeah. are like headlining. And also that, you know, every, everybody's different, but like, yeah, you know, you hear plenty of dads and stuff that do their thing, but it's definitely a different, um, a unique situation, which makes for, for good comedy. But yeah, I mean, it's, the reason is, is because, um, it's really hard to get to that place while you're raising a family family, as a woman. So in my particular case, I kind of already had the kids when I finally got to the level where I was like traveling and and getting paid. So, you know, or, or you're already successful and you have a baby and you can leave or take a nanny with you or whatever. Um, or you're fine leaving your baby for a few days. I mean, it's whatever works for you. I mean, 
I, that's the other thing. As a woman, you're constantly being judged. Nobody ever says to a man, wow, you had to go to Texas three days for a conference and you left your six-month-old? Woo, dude, yeah. <laughs> how the hell do you do that? Yeah. Like that's a conversation you've never heard. No. But women will sit around and they'll talk about the working mom that left and how they could never do it and da 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 da. And as much as we think we're supportive of each other, that kind of shit is so unsupportive. Yeah. And so it's like the same thing with breastfeeding and everybody being judgy that you have to breastfeed. And it's like, I did not breastfeed. And my son, who was not breastfed at all, is 14 almost six two has never had an ear infection and has never been on antibiotics. So thank you, Similac, but stop being so judgy yeah. because it's like the whole reason I didn't breastfeed is because I was having trouble with it and I didn't want those months to be miserable. And I'd watched an Oprah about how these women hated being mothers and the common denominator was they all had a horrible breastfeeding experience. So I'm like, well, why am I doing this then? Yeah. Can afford the formula and the kid loves it. And I'll, <laughs> about if, if my enchilada upset his stomach all night and have Catholic guilt about that or you know it's just, and my husband can wake up at 5 a.m and feed him and he's happy to do it it's fun for him my dad can feed him like why be the only person that can feed this baby and then just be miserable I I, I mean I'm sure you'll all get some letters yeah, because it's <laughs> all right oh, whatever yeah. I'm just saying I think it's better that everybody's happy so whatever works for you but yeah, I think with women, we just have a tendency to be judgy like that. No matter what, no matter, we will never, it'll never be equal in the sense because women are just wired differently as parents. I'm not saying they're better, they're just wired differently as parents. And the maternal instinct is just a lot more guilt ridden. And, yeah. you know, dads just don't feel that way. You know, they feel like, hey, I'm working, so I'm providing for my family, so I have no guilt. No guilt. But a woman who is working and providing for her family has guilt because she wasn't there for the poem hat or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, in, in talking about your material for your standup, a lot of sex talk, a lot of marriage talk, talk about your kids. Has there ever been any material that your husband or even your kids were like, mom, don't say that. Like, have you ever had to get approval from him first? Or is it more like, hey, you married me. You knew what you were signing up for. I'm not holding anything back if I think this set is going to kill. And if it's at the expense of you guys. I'm I'm absolutely sometimes like surprisingly shocked that that's it's actually never happened. I mean, sometimes I I think, could this be the thing that he's annoyed? And no. He just laughs about it. He, that is the best thing about him. There's a lot of things about him. I don't love. Okay. <laughs> um, like there's a lot of things that annoy me just like anybody else. When you've been living with someone for 17 years, Yeah. Um, but there's, I always say there's no way I could do this because I do have female comics who've been in relationships um, with men and they, the men say, don't talk about me or you can't talk about me. And, and I can't imagine if I couldn't talk about the most significant part of my life, which is being married and our kids. And so there were a couple of times the kids were like, no, don't post that or don't do this. And I said, you know what? And now they get it. But about two years ago, I started saying this, like, well, you know, 
this is the business. This is what supports the family. This is what gets us front of the line passes at Six Flags. This is what, you know, this is what pays for everything vacation. And I said, so it's just like if I was a farmer, I'd make you go out and pick corn at 5 a.m. If I want to post or talk about you in a bit, you got to accept that it's fine. Dad's fine with it. So you have to be fine with it too. Yeah. And they pretty much are. That's good. I mean, I, I didn't have them watch my stand up special because it's R rated and they're too young. But I said, you can watch it at 16. But now there's things that I'll be laughing really hard at them doing. And now they're like, are you going to put that in your act? Yeah. But they're becoming kind of really funny and their sense of, of comedy, you know, is coming through their understanding parody, their understanding improv. And like, so it's been really kind of fun, you know, incorporating them a little bit more into stuff and they do come up with stuff that's funny and I write it down. And, um, so it's, it is, you know, it is cool, but yeah, they know they can't tell me not to do something. So, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I bet it's, <clears throat> it's great as they're developing their personalities now and, I bet it is probably fun to get material from them. And I, and the thing is, I I respect all stand-up comics because it's about as subjective as a profession as you can get. I mean, people either think you're funny or they don't. I mean, your comedy is either their cup of tea or it isn't. I mean, is that difficult to deal with when your success is based on whether or not, essentially, people have to like you? It's got to be terrifying a, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you just have to have enough people like you. Fortunately, there's a lot of people in the world. So, but it is hard when someone doesn't like you or it was hard for me when people say you offended me or that, that was because the, then that, that good girl Catholic side comes in and it, it, I do get affected by it like that. Like I do, like I said, I don't have balls of steel. I get, I am sensitive. I'm much more sensitive than people would think as a comic and just as a human being, I'm just, so, you know, if for some reason, you know, for a while, like if something I said or did, if I thought would like invoke some sadness in someone, you know, I would feel bad about it. But then I finally got to a place where I'm like, you know what, if you're easily offended, don't come to the comedy club. If you watch me for an hour, even if something is edgy or, or is like a little like, whoa, when you watch the whole hour, you're going to know my point of view and know that I'm coming from a good place and I'm not I'm not a racist. I'm not, you know, an awful person. You yeah, so it's like I just can't worry about all that PC shit. It's just, you know, a couple people will I have some people that will go through my podcast all 147 episodes and and print type out anything that they think could be the least bit as if I'm like an anchor on CNN or something yeah. and like post it and be like she shouldn't have a show. And I'm like, well, guess what? It's 2017 and no one can take me off the air. So goodbye. You're like, I don't work for CNN. You don't need to write the present. You know, it's not like getting Brian Williams fired. I do my own thing, which is also really, um, really empowering too, you know, know, because it's like, yeah, Kathy Griffin did the thing about Trump and they did fire her from the New Year's Eve and they have the right to do that. You know, they're paying her a lot. They, they are, they are dependent on sponsors and that's what happened. And, you know, but then that's the price she's going to have to pay to do that. So I do think when you're in a position where you're employed by somebody else in entertainment, you should absolutely, uh, think twice about political stuff, about tweets. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it to get, you know, a couple hundred retweets 
to have half the country hate you over. I personally don't think so. But um, but if someone feels that strongly or if that's their brand, then then go for it. But for me personally, I I've made my act and my podcast political politically free. Yeah. I just go. I don't want to get into it. It's just too volatile. There's no way, even when occasionally I go down that step because I'm like, okay, I feel passionate about this and there's no way that someone could interpret this any other way than the way I'm saying it. They will. Some will. And then I go, oh God, I broke my own rule. Let me just delete this shit. Because it's like, no, I want my, you know, my Facebook group and everything to be just juicy scoop, just interesting juicy scoop and not something that people can get into like fights over. So, cause there's so much of that everywhere. I want my show and my social media to be like a break from that. Yeah. You know, there's 20 other shows you can watch bashing Trump. So I, I don't need to hear my thoughts on it, you know? Yeah. Well, when you're, when you're talking about your material, w- when an idea hits you, are you one of those that leaves a voice memo to yourself? So you don't forget, do you write stuff down immediately or do you have a great memory and you don't have to do any of that stuff and you just know, okay, when you I- know, You know what's kind of awful? If something comes to me like and I'm driving, yeah. it's really what I do is I put it in the notes section of- um, Of your phone. On my phone. You yeah. know, I have like podcast notes section, a stand-up pod, like what I want to- And then all of a sudden, like a couple minutes will pass to where I finally can pull over and I'm like, oh shit, what were the two things? And like that really <laughs> drives me crazy. So sometimes I'll even be like, if I'm someone's with me, write this down and- um, and then once in a while, yeah, I didn't write enough and I'll go back and I'll go, I don't even know what this was a reference to, but usually I can, yeah. and then I'll build upon it and then I'll go to stand up and I'll, you know, plop it in between, you know, established stuff. But every time I try to do new stuff so that eventually, you know, eventually you have all new stuff. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about next is how often do you try and change your material? Because I got to think in the social media age, with YouTube and people being able to bring their phones to uh, clubs and so many things online now, it's got to be hard doing a show and yet not wanting to repeat stuff, but it's obviously a different audience when you're in a different city and they haven't heard the stuff, but maybe they saw it online. So how often do you try and redo a set? I mean, I think for, for me, you know, some people do want to see stuff like people love that I do impressions. So yeah, but I have the characters that I do. They will say different things every year yeah. based on their life. So if I'm doing Drew Barrymore, it's different. The Drew that I'm doing today is different than the Drew I did three years ago, yeah. you know? So, but sometimes I just, there's times when I don't do those people and then they come up to me after and go, can you do it? So then I'm like, okay, let me like work it in. Um, but I want to give them enough new stuff. And um so I, you know, I don't go to a city more than once a year, so it will be mostly new, but there might be a story or two that if someone really remembered, they would go, I kind of remember that story, but even that story will have developed or changed, or I've created more jokes for it because, you know, you, the goal is like to have another special. So you got to make sure you have real, like really tight stuff every couple of years. So you could do another special. So yeah, some of the things are done, but it's still always going to be a little different. Um, but there are comics that will do the exact same act for like 15 years. Yeah. And, and you know, and if people want to keep going to that fine, I, if the, the comic still wants to do that fine, I get, I get bored of myself, but, um, you know, there's nothing worse than having someone say, 
I saw her last year and she did the exact same thing, which I've never heard. Thank God. And sometimes I'll even go out with someone like I'll meet like a, a person like, Oh, a cute lunch winner or whatever. And they'll be like, I saw you last year. And so I'm like, okay. And then I'll do that show for them. And I'm like, did it seem too similar to last year? And they're like, no, no. And I know that there's probably two stories that were in last year's act, but they don't really like they, it's all fun and they're laughing and they've had drinks and, you know, but, but don't please people don't expect someone to come up with a new hour every day yeah, or even every year. You know, there's some people that will do that and that's, they're just really prolific, but most people will keep a bit for a couple years and they might change it or move it or, you know, um, like you recorded, you recorded your Netflix special in 2014. It aired in 2015. And I'm looking at your, your tour dates next week. Uh, next weekend you're in Philadelphia next Thursday night. And then, um, you're in Vermont, the following two nights, Friday and Saturday, or, uh, yeah, Friday yeah, and Saturday in Vermont. Nice. So shows, yeah. is any of your, <clears throat> is any of your, I don't mean to brag, part of your current set? Um, like that you'll perform like next maybe week? Maybe like one or two throwaway lines, but no. Okay. okay. No, it's all new stories. And um, like I said, if I, there's certain themes. My husband is still cheap, but there's new stories about it. Gotcha. I still have two kids, but there's new stories about it. I still, um, you know, have the same perspective on life, but there's new stories. If I do impressions, it's new. It's if it's the same person, it's different things that they're doing or saying. But there'll probably be a couple more newer impressions that I throw in there. Yeah. So yeah, but no, not from the special. It will be totally new. So if you like the special, you want to see the special before and you come see me this summer, it will be new for sure. One thing that happened to me recently in terms of stand up, and and this was new and it's been a couple of years since I'd been to a, a major show. I've done the local, the Addison improv here in Dallas. Um, I've been to, but um, I saw Chris rock uh, in Vegas last month at the Monte Carlo. And uh-huh. I had never seen this before, this yonder thing, where for those that don't know, because Chris is obviously probably top five biggest stand-ups out there right now, men uh-huh. and women, he he had this thing where everybody that goes to the show, like you can't bring your phone in with you. It is Well, you know, you know what that who started that. That's what was, I was gonna say. Where did that come from? And is this going to be now a new thing? Well, you know, they say in front of my shows you can't take photos you can't video and sometimes all of a sudden i'll look out and there's a girl smiling holding her phone to me yeah i'm like god damn it i'm gonna have to stop my act and reprimand this girl and i hate doing that i hate i never get hecklers i get supportive hecklers like i get girls that are just too drunk and they're excited to be there and sometimes they're chatty at their table or sometimes they're like you tell them heather yeah and it's really annoying and, but I hate to do that because I know they're like good people and I never get an asshole anymore. I get a paying person. So it's like, um, so I, I sometimes go, Hey, you know, you, you can't film me. And then they come up to me after, Oh, I was just Snapchat and I won't, and I'll delete it. You know, I'm like, okay, but I go, because I'm doing my act and I don't want people to think, you know, I don't want it out there. You can't post it. You know, I try to explain. Um, but Day, so I was at the Comedy Works, which is one of the best clubs in the country. Um, 
maybe because it's owned by a woman, not to be all feminist, but she does really run it well. It's like great food and everything. Her name's Wendy. And it's Comedy Works, just two clubs in Denver. And um, last time I was there, they had, I don't know if it's the same thing, but it's like a satchel that you put your phone in. Yep. And um, so what's great is if if you're there, first of all, even if someone died, you know, or need your help. It's only an hour and a two hour show that you're without your phone. I think you can live. But if you do have a sitter or something you need to check on, you can go outside and get your phone and then give it back to the person. You just can't have your phone in the place. And I guess Dave Chappelle was doing his act at the comedy works and he brought that company there and, and they, uh, loved it so much and knew that their comics would love it, that they now have it for everybody. And I loved it. It was the biggest relief because people weren't looking down, reading a text. It wasn't even just about them filming you. It's about they're just more alert. Yeah. They're just more engaged. Well, yeah. I mean, for, for those that don't know, it w- it's like this this foam pouch. You put, yeah. your, you put your phone in it, and then it seals with kind of like those plastic things that are on your clothes at the retail store. It's literally sealed by something like that. You cannot get to your phone. You're allowed to bring it in. It's on your lap. I, I felt you know, my vibration on that thing probably 10 times during the show. And it was weird not being able to immediately grab my phone and look at it. But so if you saw it, that's great. So if you saw that it was vibrating yeah. and you were concerned because you have a young child at home or something, then you can go to the bathroom and check it, yeah. you know, ask the guy to open it, check it, but then it's going to be locked before you go back in. It's such a great, I hope that more clubs, I hope it becomes affordable that every club can have it. Yeah, and I didn't know if this was just something Chris could do because he's Chris Rock and he's like, "Look, I don't want my I don't want my shit out there. I don't want any of my stuff out there online because I want people to come see my show or if this is going to become even for smaller clubs like the Irvine Improv which I've been to a million times and the Addison Improv, it's going to be something um what uh like if this is going to be universal for all clubs no matter what the size that just so they don't have to worry about people not paying attention or someone's phone going off or something like that. You know? Well, I think it's, it's a great invention and I hope that it becomes something for everybody concerts, everything, you know, Yeah. it's just because that's annoying too. When someone's filming everything at the concert, you know, it's like, you're just not engaged. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, with, with Chris Rock, he probably either put that in his contract or just had the money to bring in the company himself because it was worth it being that he's, you know, um, doing such big shows and doing specials and things. He definitely doesn't want any of it recorded. Yeah, no, his was, uh, it was very on tight security. And also that night he had some major audio issues and I could tell that he was visibly upset during his set. He like literally had to stop down during his set. He basically, at some point during the set, this was at Monte Carlo. Yeah, it was really bad. It got bad at one point where I think the mic cut out or the mic was kind of like iffy. And all of a sudden, he, he literally stopped down in the middle of the set and he's like, this is the worst fucking place to do a show. It was really, it was almost tense. I was like, oh shit, like this guy's got to yeah. do a show at Monte Carlo for the next, he, he still had a 930 show. I was at the seven o'clock show and it oh. was just, it was really weird because I've never seen, a, I've literally of all the standups that I've seen. I've never seen a comic get so stopped down in the middle of a set to where he was visibly upset at what was going on around him. And he was, I mean, he was on a roll. You know how Chris is when he gets going. He was in the middle of a roll and all of a sudden, like the mic, like, oh, the, the yeah. mic went out and he almost lost, he, he lost it, but was so like, he was so mad. He was so quiet when he lost it. It was like one of those yeah. things. It was, but it was tense. I mean, it was really tense. And I wonder, yeah. 
if that 9.30 show, he was like, or when his set ended, he was just like, look, this better not fucking happen again or I'm canceling my contract here or whatever. But he was, yeah. uh, it was great. I mean, he's got a great, his first stand up in what? I think he took 10 years off stand up, something like that. His right. first stand up in a while. So, yeah. Um, I want to touch on the bachelor real quick and then we'll, and then we'll wrap things up. Um, okay. have you, I know you're a fan of the show. You watch the seasons, right? Yes. Yes. Um, do you know the spoil? Do you read the spoilers? Do you know the spoiler for this season? Like who Rachel I chooses? Okay. I don't know the spoilers. Okay. I won't tell you then. You don't want to know, do you? Okay. Tell me. <laughs> okay. Well, there's only six guys left. Who do you think? Sh- who do you think? She right knows? now, there's five whites and one black guy, right? Correct. Five white guys and one black guy. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I think it's the, um, the chiropractor. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's who she's with. That's who she picks. Brian. That, and that was the guy that she had hot chemistry for on day one, right? Yeah. Uh, cocktail. He got the first impression rose. He made out with yes. her twice that night. Every time yes. they, every time we see I them together, they're. That. I predicted that as yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who did. <laughs> they're, yeah. Every time we see them together, their tongues are, are stuck yeah. together. Um, do you have a favorite season from the past? Like, did you have a favorite season? You were like, I really like that season better than other ones, even though it's essentially the same show. Every season. I think Caitlin Bristow, because she was like, and I'm saying this in the best, most positive Amber Rose way, but she was like the most pro slutty. Yeah. Um, I loved it. (laughs) Like the fact that she boned Nick on a group date (laughs) and just, just boning like no one had ever boned before as as a female or a male for that case. That I thought was the most groundbreaking like sexually free boning, you know, people on group dates and they even, they remember they just skipped. They said, forget the hometowns. We're going straight to the fantasy suite. Like yeah. we got a horny bitch on our hands. Like let's, <laughs> let's change it up. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. So, um, I thought that was real fun and different. And, and we talked about this when I was on your podcast, well, you kind of have a theory about the fantasy suites in regards to, well, what should go down if you happen to be one of the lucky men or women that gets to the fantasy suite, your theory on what you should do if you're in that position, right? Well, you know, it's, it's hard. Cause my mom always would, whatever would watch the Olympics or whatever. And it would be ice skating competition. She's like, you always want to be the last one, the last impression, you know, you want to be the last one on the ice skating, you know, it's the Olympics just because you're now they're comparing you to everybody else. Yeah. So I feel like you want to be the third to just be the best at the boning. Yeah. Like had two others. Now let me just like rock your world. But then again, is his dick a little tired by the time the third vagina comes around? <laughs> like, is he a little exhausted? Is he not trying hard enough? How much time goes, does your, do you have as the bachelorette, do you have time to douche in between? Do you have time <laughs> to take a little break? I mean, these are questions that nobody else thinks about. Yeah. And I think, I think, and I, I don't know if you know, is there a day of, is there a, it's a rest? Day. It's a day. In, it's a day in between. Like if, if choose, like, just let it air out. Yeah. Then, yeah. Um, and then also I wonder if you, the bachelorette, do they work around your period so they know like in the like the the first couple weeks you're on your period so that by the end of the four weeks like you are period free and full boning or do they put you on the pill to make your cycle because when I got married I was went to my doctor and I go I would like to 
not be on my period for during my honeymoon. He goes, okay, well, this is what you do. You start taking this pill on this day and it'll change your whole thing. So I assume that they probably do that. You know what? I would have to speak to each one individually, but yeah, I mean, the timing is, how would you know? Like it would be really a huge bummer if at the time of the overnight dates, she happened to be on her period. Cause let's face it, sex does happen in it. It would suck. I think that they go to a guy now and they go, okay, let's get you on the pill. But then what if a girl doesn't want to be on the pill because she's never been on the pill and she afraid she's going to gain five more pounds, which can also then, happen. Then there's that. I mean, yeah, I guess you would have to go to each bachelorette individually and say, like, were you ever worried that when the overnight – did you plan it ahead? Were you thinking in your head, okay, overnight should be around this time? Like, do you uh, imagine – Last ovulated like, here. Like, tonight's, tonight's a fantasy suite, but Aunt Flo has come. <laughs> It would be a hell of a conversation. I say that. I mean, that would be uh, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I mean, gosh, I, 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 the funny thing is, I had uh, Diana Stagliano, who yeah. was Diana Pappas, was she's the only former lead, female lead yeah. or male lead for that matter, that I've had on the podcast, and I had her on two weeks ago. Never even thought of asking about that, but uh, <laughs> um, well, maybe I should if I get future leads on in the pa- in the future. I should just be yeah, just maybe yeah. I should ask like, hey. Um, were you ever was it on your mind was it uh did you think going like a month beforehand like oh i might be on my period then right or not um uh, let's just say that there was a celebrity version of the bachelor let's take nick's bachelor season for example uh this this past bachelor season nick as an example but instead of the girls that we saw let's say they threw in um, a couple of celebrities that show up for him. Like, what would um Celine Dion have said to Nick on her limo entrance? Oh, okay. <laughs> she'd come out and she'd say, "I drove all night to meet you at the Bachelor Suite." How's that? I think she would come in singing because she just got out of the car, so she drove all night. Because... Uh, Drew Barrymore. Of shit. What would Drew say? Um, Drew would have said. Um, oh my God. First of all, you're adorable. Um, I love that you're wearing a tux. (laughs) Um, I've never been on a date with 25 other women, but I am a girl's girl. So I'm totally down to sharing you, getting to know you. This is so surreal. I love that the driveway is wet, even though it's in the middle of summer. Who job it is to spray the driveway down so it glistens? And why has no one slipped before? That's another question. And, and then, um, God, it would only be great if Jennifer Anderson appeared on next season, too. Uh, okay. Well, hi. You are charming. I'm excited to be here. I'm going to meet the girls. I'm going to have a little glass champagne or a margarita. I am good. I am great. Yeah. Let's have some alone time. We get to really know each other. Oh, I was waiting all, I was waiting all podcasts for that. Um, <laughs> this is, I can't be the only one that has thought this or has said this to you. Maybe I am, but I'm going to say it. There have to be people that have come up to you and said that you look like Celine Dion, right? I can't be the only you know, one. I definitely do. I mean, a, a lot of times people don't know who I am. So they go, do you know who you look like? And I go, Celine Dion. But okay. a couple of times people said, you know who you look like? And I go, Celine Dion. They go, no, that comedian on Chelsea Lately. And I go, oh, <laughs> my God, that is me. Thank you. Uh, um, but no, I think she is great. She's fun to do. 
actually there is French Canadian in me. So oh, I think that okay. goes, but, uh, yeah. Okay. No, that was, that was great. And if you want those impressions or, and you have others, obviously, uh, yes. those are three of my well, favorites. I just did, I just did a sketch. You can go to my YouTube page. What's my YouTube page, Nikki? YouTube.com slash Heather McDonald's? I don't know. Well, we should find out when my YouTube page is. We're, 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 it's like it's 2007 here. We're really getting some shit done. But I, um, I just did an, a really good sketch that um, I'm the Hollywood medium, Tyler Henry. Yes. He's the person I love to do. I'm Tyler Henry, and I'm giving a reading to Drew Barrymore, and it is extremely touching, yeah. and one should watch I it. Did, I did see that, and I'm going to post it when we post this podcast. Oh, um, right. I'll, I'll, I'll embed the video on that. So um, I end all my interviews with a rapid 10, where it's 10 quick questions, just random okay. stuff, and we'll just rip through these, and and we'll be on our way. Uh, question number one, obviously, you are a fan of the Housewives. Yes. Which one would you say you relate to the most and why? Orange County. I know them the best and I, it's a good amount of wealth for me. It's not too pretentious. And, um, I like, uh, tapas places in stucco, uh, mini malls. <laughs> so gotcha. I like mm-hmm. question number two, your biggest pet peeve in bed. Um, in bed, like in having sex. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, probably uh, locking the door and then having my kids knock on it. <laughs> uh, okay, question number three: Last TV show you binge watched? Oh, The Keeper is on Netflix. Oh, I haven't you seen know? that one, but I've heard things about it. Um, pretty juicy, pretty disturbing, but good. Question number four: Worst stand-up gig you ever performed whether it was the location the facilities the crowd whatever uh the work like there's some that just aren't conducive to stand-up but they pay really well so i don't enjoy doing the stand-up but i'll do it like i did this one event and it was at a hotel in in uh, vegas and it was just the people were so far from me that it was really difficult like no one was listening it was it's that type of thing. Um, that's probably it. Like, you okay. know, it's pretty rare that I don't like, you know, now I'm in a place where, you know, I really have a good time. It's usually something like that, like a once in a while, a corporate gig, which can sometimes be great, but sometimes it can be that it just isn't conducive to stand up. What about, um, like the smallest, like podunk town you've ever done? Um, you know, I really haven't done that many small towns. I've been very lucky uh, because I tell my agent cute cities only. Yeah. But the worst <laughs> one was probably, it's not Podunk, but Jacksonville, Florida, where I performed and where I had to like walk to the Target was pretty rough. Oh, okay. So I didn't love that. Um, okay, question number five. The biggest misconception that people have about stand-up comedians? Um, that they're always on. And so you invite one to a dinner party and they're just quiet and being polite and, you know, having fun. But maybe they're like, I like to sit back and I very funny friends that are not in the business. And I love when they're telling stories and they're the center of attention. And then some people are like, I was surprised you were so funny on stage because, you know, when I met you at parties before, you weren't funny. Yeah. Because I'm not an asshole, like a normal person, you know, Um, or that 
that you want to do an act or you don't seem funny. Show me you're funny. Don't ever say that to someone. That's the most annoying thing. Oh yeah. No, I, I wait I see you next. Don't ask them to perform at the show at the party. Uh, question number six, when you were performing stand up before you got married, did you ever hook up with a fan after a show? Never a fan. Never, no. never a fan. Other comics sometimes, but never a fan. Um, oh, you hooked up with other comics, but never some, okay. All right. Never some guy that saw me that no. Okay. But I know the thing is, I asked that because I know that there are male comedians that do it all the time. So the thing, I think it's very attractive for girls to date a funny guy. I don't think guys, you know, grow up going, you know, what I'd love a woman who gets on stage and talks about every intimate part of her body and is crass. And, um, you know, is making everyone laugh. Yeah. That's who I would love to get intimate with. That's not interesting. Yeah. No, there's, there's definitely a certain dynamic between male yes. standups and females. Which... And also as a female comic, we go home with a fan and we can be murdered, yeah. but a male comic can go home with a waitress or a fan and just get laid and never talk to them again. Yeah. But we end up dead. So that's always the difference between men and women that will never change no matter what happens. Uh, question number seven, name your top three stand-up specials of all time. Oh, my favorite is probably, um, Louis CK's, uh, yes. second to last one, which I can't remember the name of, uh, Eddie Murphy's, um, raw, raw or delirious. Uh, the one with the ice cream cone. That was delirious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was, and, and, that's an old timer. And then Roseanne's first one that I talked about. Yeah. Uh, question number eight. Was there ever a set that you did that you thought you absolutely killed, but the audience just didn't react like you expected? No, but there was one time recently where I thought it was great and my husband was there and he hadn't seen me in a while. And he told me he did not think it was great. Oh, interesting. <laughs> did love it. And I was like, what? And he was like, no, you talk too fast. And, and I was like, oh, that was kind of weird. So I actually thought he, he would have loved like all the new stuff. And I guess he didn't think it was that great. So that's, that's kind of most of the times I know when I'm off. And that time I did not think I was off. Huh. So, so it you, guys was, just, you guys just didn't see eye to eye on that one, huh? I guess not. <laughs> the room, again, that room was a little weird. So it's like it could have been where he sat, you know. Was that the Vegas one? Was that the, no? This okay. place. It was this place in Sonoma that doesn't normally do comedy, but it was a cool. A, it was a cool experience. Like the people were cool and stuff. But I'm wondering maybe it's like being that it wasn't a comedy club. The sound or something was off. I don't know. Okay. Question number nine. Your best friend. What would she say is your number one quality? Positive quality about you. Um, I think loyalty. That I'm not, that, you know, I've been, I keep friends for very long. I've had, you know, I'll, I'll show up. I'm not a flake. So if I'm your friend, you know, I'll be loyal to you and I'll, I'll have your back and, um, you know, support you. And if I'm not mistaken, I recently saw on Twitter, you took a picture. I think you have a picture of a, with longtime friends on Twitter. Was oh, yeah. that something that I just saw? High school yeah, friends or something? Sure. Yeah, my stepdaughter graduated from the all-girl Catholic high school that that I went to, 
And I invited my friends to our graduate, her graduation party. And those three friends are still my really good friends today. Mm-hmm. So we took a photo from that. We were placed in the same lineup as our graduation day. So oh. it does say a lot about, you know, us as friends, but it says a lot about how we were raised and, you know, being in an all girls school, how supportive it was for um, making lifelong friendships. And question number 10, I, it's always reserved for something called Explain Your Tweet. I got this off of Anthony Jeselnik's uh, short-lived TV show where he his was called Defend Your Tweet. Um, okay. Mine is essentially the same thing, but your tweets are pretty – it's more um, you know, self-promotion for your shows and anything that you release on YouTube and stuff. So basically I'm going to change it to just a question number 10 of – yeah. On your podcast, Juicy Scoop, what would you say is the juiciest scoop you've gotten out of somebody? Juicy scoop I've gotten out of somebody. Um, I feel like Kyle Richards revealed a lot um, about like her first marriage and then stuff with Mauricio. Like that one, people were like, I feel like she gave a lot. Dina Manzo, who was a Real Housewives of New Jersey, gave a lot of dirt about what really went down between she and her sister Caroline, um, what happened behind the scenes at the reunion. So that was like surprising. I didn't expect to get all that. So those were good. I do get a lot out of people. Well, congratulations. Heather, you completed the Rapid 10. Uh, we are done with this podcast. I already went a little bit long, but that was uh, – that was great. You were my first. You broke my. Uh, you broke my virgin cherry on guests since you were. You were the first one that's not from the Bachelor franchise, and I wanted to start branching out and doing some. And I knew that I would eventually, but you were the first. So, thank well, you for thank coming you. on. Appreciate it. Um, so. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, you can get Heather's books. They're on Amazon. Uh, her Netflix special is still up there. It's called "I Don't Mean to Brag." She's going to be in Philadelphia and Vermont next week. Um, And you can listen to her podcast, Juicy Scoop, uh, on any podcast app that you can find. So, Heather, thank you very much uh, for joining me. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will be in touch. Great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Heather for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, Like I said, I was going to start doing only because we're just kind of – running out of bachelor and bachelorette people you can only do so many um but i do want to mix some in we still have bachelor and bachelorette contestants that will be coming up in the future uh in fact uh i believe we have one next week so i just wanted to take a break do one with someone in the comedy world i was on heather's podcast this past tuesday you can see that uh just uh do a search for juicy scoop with heather mcdonald and uh it was great hearing that this is my first time ever really speaking to a a stand-up comedian and like i said it's a huge part of my life uh, something that I grew up on, and I've always just been curious to talk to them and about the industry. And I, I, I swear to you, I could have talked to Heather for another two hours about stand-up. I had so many questions that, obviously, being a comedian, she had no problem. Um, she's not at a loss for words, so I essentially had to just eliminate some stuff that I had going because I knew she only had about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And so, yeah, there was a lot of stuff I never even got to, but uh, I thought she was great. Uh, I hope you all enjoy that. So uh, thank you uh, for uh, tuning into that. I, uh, it is something that I was looking forward to for a long time. Uh, finally getting to talk to somebody outside of the Bachelor world. I, I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget uh, this podcast is brought to you by Men's Warehouse. Don't forget about the 10th Annual Men's Warehouse National Suit Drive happening 
all this month, July 1st to July 31st, donate your gently used professional attire, including suits, slacks, dress shirts, ties, and more to any men's warehouse store. And give a man the chance to transform his life. The goal is to reach 275,000 donations. So be sure to spread the word by using the hashtag give a suit. Visit www.menswearhouse.com slash national dash suit dash drive for more info. That's www.menswearhouse.com slash national dash suit dash drive. Don't forget those dashes. As a thank you for donating, you'll receive a coupon for 50% off regular priced retail items and get $10 off your $50 purchase when you text NSD to 66960. Thank you again to Heather for that. Much appreciated. Had a lot of fun with that. Hopefully, there's a there's a there's a few other comedians actually out there that I have um, reached out to in terms of coming on the show. It's a lot tougher, obviously, to get people that are a little more famous than reality people to come on the show. So, um, but I'm working on it. So, uh, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate that. And we will be back next week. We will have a former contestant on the show and a very popular, maybe even can some way consider controversial contestant from the past that will be on next week's podcast. But uh, until then, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you could rate, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. But uh, for Heather McDonald, I am Reality Steve. Thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. See you.